Hey church, it's great to be with you again this weekend from the scripture, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. I've been chasing after this Jesus my whole life long enough to know that the Christian journey is one of peaks and valleys and times of feeling incredibly close to the Lord, times feeling distant, like he's abandoned us, like he's forsaken us, like there's a veil that's been put between us. Um, I have to tell you that in my time, I've learned that most of the time, if I'm feeling that distance, that veil, it's me who is moved, not the other way around. I just want to encourage you with that scripture. If you're feeling that this weekend, would you just take a second, even pause the video, take a deep breath, pray to the Lord, ask that his... Uh, vision for your life would be uh, renewed, that you would feel close to him. We're going to sing a song that's taken directly from this scripture. Hope it helps out. God bless you. Let's sing together.
Prisons shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Life's made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' name. Chains will fall, prisons shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Life's made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' name. Your triumph unfolds. 
church family. It is awesome to worship with you today. Thank you, Chad and Erica, for leading us in that worship time. Well, a big hi to all you Kids Blast kids. I miss seeing you. I miss having you in my class each week. Kids, can you do me a favor? Man, I know you're all back to school, whether that looks like online or homeschooling. Maybe even some of you are back in person. I would love to see what school looks like for you. So can you send me in a picture so I can see all the fun that you're having? Send me a picture, you know my email, love to see what's going on with you. Well, for the rest of our church family, 
Could you text us at 97,000 and let us know what your prayer requests, what your praises are, because we love to be supporting you by prayer. Our staff team gathers together on Tuesday mornings to pray over you. So please send us a text at 97,000 so we can be praying for you. Coming up this Saturday, we've got two events for you. The churches in the Caneo Valley are coming together to pray, and ABF has adopted Agora High School so that we can pray over the students and all the community. So if you wouldn't mind meeting here at 8 a.m., and then we're going to walk over to the high school so that we can be praying for our community. We'd love for you to join us in that. Well, the second thing on Saturday, September 26th, is our women's one-day retreat. Woo, woo! So excited about that. All you ladies, we'd love to have you register for that. Um, our one-day, it is going to be a sweet time of fellowship and worship and teaching in our outdoor courtyard. And Kathleen Kegel is going to be coming and teaching on the fruit of gentleness. We just know this is going to be a great time for our women to gather together. So we'd love for you to join join us. We know the weather's going to be good. The food's going to be great. Women, you're beautiful. We need to see you there. So please don't miss out on that event. Well, this is the time in our service where we collect our offerings. So if you are at home, we'd love for you to go online and send us in your tithe, uh, or you're welcome to send a check by mail or drop it by the church. We so appreciate your faithful giving to our church. Thank you so much. Well, this past Tuesday was our kickoff for Awana. And we had 99 kids running around our campus. They were praising the Lord. And you could just see their excitement with being back together. Well, we've got a video for you so you can check out all the fun. You got to move if you're ready or not. Give it all that you got. Turn it
Well, greetings, church. Uh, so fun to see the Awana uh, teams coming back together. And what a great job uh, they did putting together that video. And hopefully you're blessed and encouraged by that. Little resemblances of normalcy are a huge blessing to my heart during this season. I hope that's the same for you as well. Well, we're continuing in our series, working through the book of John. And I invite you to grab a Bible or your phone or whatever is the easiest way to get God's word in front of you. We're in chapter starting chapter three uh, today in in a message I've titled, Nick at Night. I'm wondering with that title, if we have anybody in this church family, anybody in our group here that has, would describe themselves as a non-sleeper. When I say non-sleeper, I mean have trouble dozing off. Now, some of you are saying, give me a second, pastor. I haven't gotten comfortable enough. I'm not talking about sleeping in the sermon. I'm talking about generally have a hard time falling asleep at night. Have a a hard time turning off the brain at the end of the day. It's kind of ironic that I'm starting with this because I actually wrote this intro last night, eh, a little bit after midnight. And so just thinking through that, what is it that keeps you awake? Sometimes it's just trivial, silly stuff that you just can't turn your brain off of. Sometimes it's really attached more so to something that you're worried about, something that you're anxious about. And every once in a while, this is usually about 2 or 3 a.m. if you're really staying up late, it's about some of the deeper questions of life. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's next? All of those big, tough questions that we all face in our heart of hearts. Well, We don't know in our text today what brought Nicodemus to Jesus' door that night. You have to wonder what it was. Regardless, we do know that it was something that compelled him to come to somebody that you wouldn't typically rub shoulders with. Something that started a conversation that would leave him completely changed moving forward. My question for you in that, along that same vein of staying up, what is it that leads you to the door where you're knocking on Jesus' door, where you're asking some of the tough questions? I hope it's a very uh, common occurrence in your life, something that happens often, that when you're at the end of your rope, when you don't have any of the solutions after you've been laying in bed and you can't solve it, that that's a commonplace thing, that you come knocking on his door and he meets you exactly where you're at. Let me pray before we start this story of Nick at night. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together, and we thank you how you are the perfect source of rescue, even mental rescue. When we're wrapped up in our anxiety, when we're wrapped up in our questions, when we're wrapped up in the cares of this world, God, you rescue us from that. Thank you that you have that invite for us to cast our cares upon you because you care so deeply for us. I pray that you teach us through this story tonight that we'd get a glimpse from this conversation as to what conversations with you look like. 
We invite you to meet us now in this time. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So chapter three, starting in verse one, we're getting introduced to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Obviously, I'm calling him Nick. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Or we'll pause here for a little introduction. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity already to see this uh, newer series that's out. It's called The Chosen. And it's a, a beautiful portrayal of the life of Christ. This last spring, we as a family went through that a number of times being moved to tears by the different interactions, personal interactions between Jesus and the people that crossed his path. It's a, a beautiful uh, account. If you get a chance to watch that, I'd highly recommend it. But one of the interactions was with a man that we're being introduced to here by the name of Nicodemus. This conversation is really only found here in the book of John out of the entire New Testament. And it's coming, as you remember, from Jesus's very closest friend, account of this interaction, this conversation, if you do, if you will. And in this conversation, you, you think about who is this guy? Who is this character, Nicodemus? And we actually know quite a bit about him from scripture. He's in a number of passages in the New Testament. He's a ruler over the Jews, it says here. Basically in that day, there wasn't a separation between the religious leaders and the government. Basically Pharisees were the leaders of the people. And Nicodemus, we're told elsewhere, was part of the Sanhedrin, which would be part of the, what we would be common day, our, our Supreme Court. So he was a governing body. He was a, uh, determining who was innocent, guilty. He was also, as we see here, a teacher in the uh, rabbinical system. So he's a rabbi who is part of teaching the people. A little bit later on, Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel. So he was very devoted to the Old Testament, rabbinical law, tradition. He was a teacher of teachers. He's demonstrated here in the, the text, though, that sometimes the teacher of teachers have questions of their own. So here he's coming to Jesus. A little bit more about him, just a few other details we also know in the New Testament. He's also known for being very wealthy, being probably, uh, some historians believe that he was one of the three most wealthy people in all of Israel, very elevated and very much a, a, a prideful Jew, somebody of prideful Jewish descent, a pure Jew, if you will. So he's showing up and he's coming. Notice what it says, what time of the day. He shows up, obviously by our title, shows up at night. Question is, why would that be? Why would you show up at night? Because at this point in time, that Jesus has already been established as a controversial figure. Remember what his actions were last week in the temple court. So he's, he's ruffling some feathers and he's trying to be protective of his, uh, of his reputation. So he shows up common sense at night and he shows up and notice the way that he addresses Jesus. He's first off, he acknowledges him as rabbi as teacher, if you will. And then he says, we, in other words, the leaders have been talking about him and recognizing that his, 
his uh, actions demonstrate that, well, you're, you're not like any other teacher. You must be from God. So, so far, that's the conclusion that they've come to, not recognizing him as the Messiah, but recognizing that he must be from God. And take a look at how Jesus responds to these pleasantries. Verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Let's pause there for a moment. A lot of uh, scripture covered there. Anybody else, here's confession time. Anybody else read this and wonder what in the world is Jesus saying? Like what, what's the point that he's making? Where is he going? It almost seems like he's talking a different language, if you will. He basically, here's the, the, the summary that I would give of it. He chose to speak Nicodemus's language a language of analogies. That's the way the teachers communicated. They use, use visuals and pictures to help make sense out of more in-depth realities and truths. It's kind of like you, if you're having a conversation with somebody that's into computers. I don't know if you've had this before where you're talking and you're like, they're talking about things that I have no idea about. Terabytes, RAM, GPU, CPU, overclocking, motherboards. I have no idea what any of it means. It's like a completely different language. In those conversations, I just end my sentences with .com to sound more intelligent. Just kidding. But here, notice Nick didn't ask Jesus any questions at all. But look at verse three, it says, Jesus answered him. In other words, Jesus didn't wait for the questions. He knew exactly. We were told in the last section that Jesus knows what? He knows the heart of man. He understands where he's coming from. So even before he can get out a few questions, he goes to the deepest part of his need. He meets him in the place of confusion, the area that doesn't make sense to Nicodemus. He confronts the lie that he's been clinging to. How do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven? He tells them, you must be, what does he say? Born again. You almost have to say that with a Southern draw. In fact, try it again with a little Southern. You must be, born again. there you go, Josh has it. So here, here's the idea. You must be born again, he tells them. And in that, in that conversation, it's the reality saying, hey, you can't fix where you're currently at. You need a complete reboot. You need it to start over fresh. This was a, a pretty intense reality for somebody that's clinging to their Jewish status, telling them they need to be born again. This would be shocking information. Nicodemus thought his physical birth into the lineage of Abraham was a ticket to heaven. And he's saying, no, 
None of that, none of the titles you've achieved, none of the uh, laws that you've followed, none of that really amounts to anything. He says, you have to start from scratch. You have to start over. This would have been shocking information for Nicodemus. He tried to make sense out of it. Do you see it there in the text? What am I supposed to return to my mother's womb? I don't know that there's any mothers that like that idea. I've had a, a number of times where Adrian will give Chase, my 15-year-old son, a, a big hug, and she'll say to him, I can't believe at one point you were in my stomach, right? Like he's, he's such a, a massive kid. So, so Nicodemus is wrestling through this, trying to make sense out of it. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. The point that he's making when he refers to being born again, you, he's saying you, a water birth, which re represents our natural birth. He says, you had nothing to do with that. The kingdom of, of God is only available for people that draw God to himself in the same way you had nothing to do with your physical birth. You have nothing to do with your spiritual birth. None of this has to do with us. Our ego likes the idea of self-rescue, but none of us birth ourselves physically and none of us birth ourselves spiritually. He's trying to get that across. This was a, a tough thing for a, a works-based belief system. Somebody that was clinging to all of their achievements. He's saying it has nothing to do with you. He describes the Holy Spirit as doing the work behind the scenes. And he describes the Holy Spirit like the wind going wherever it so chooses. In other words, even that, the drawing to himself has to do with the Spirit and not ourselves. Basically, he continues in verse 11, helping connect the dots a bit. It says, truly, truly, I like that he keeps introducing this because it's so opposite of what he had heard his whole entire life, but yet nonetheless true. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who ascended, descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Truly, truly, he starts with here. Basically, he's using some verbiage that I think is easy to slip past and uh, he would have not missed this. Nicodemus would have caught when Jesus keeps using the plural, we speak, we know, we have seen our testimony, highlighting his direct connection to God. This is not something Jesus was taught or passed on to him. It's coming straight from the source. This is what I have eternally known, in other words. Jesus differenti differentiates himself from all other guides, he was in a guide system there with the, the rabbis would have followers that they would come and they would learn and eventually become new rabbis that they would lead the next group. This was Jesus saying, no, I don't have that. I am the source of this. I am the one that descended from heaven. Daniel 7, I think it's kind of cool, describes the coming Messiah as the son of man. Jesus, this is just one of 70 times that he refers to himself as the son of man. 
After this self-designation, though, you notice that he points out that Nicodemus doesn't believe. How do we know that? He says that you do not believe. So don't be surprised for us when we're interacting with people. If the greatest teacher of all time isn't convincing somebody of something, maybe sometimes our testimony isn't what's going to draw somebody to Christ. It's again, the work of the Holy Spirit behind the scenes. But again, the only one who has come down from heaven with truth about getting to heaven is Jesus. That's the point that he's making. He points to another Old Testament thing that would be important for them to understand. And I imagine some of this, as they reflect on the conversation, they start to connect the dots. They start to piece it all together. What does he point to there in the Old Testament? In verse 14, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he talking about there? If you look all the way back in Numbers 21, verse eight, basically the Israelites are having the consequence of their perpetual complaining. The consequence is pretty intense. God has them being bit by serpents, but in response to their cry for mercy, God provides mercy in the form of something to look upon. God directs Moses. Do you know this story? God directs Moses to put a bronze snake on the end of a post and it, after being bit, I find it interesting that it's after being bit instead of before being bit. After being bit, they're to look upon this bronze snake and they would be rescued. It had nothing to do with them having to achieve anything, nothing to do with them doing something different, just looking upon something for rescue. Again, he's making that connection between the Old Testament and New Testament, helping us recognize that it has nothing to do with what we're going to do to fix ourselves and everything to do what we're looking to for our rescue. No human effort, just simple faith. My sister Kathleen, I've mentioned before, has uh, been a chaplain for years and years. And right now her job brings her in homes where she's meeting with people that are a lot of times terminally ill, kind of at the end of their life and getting a chance to kind of process through big picture questions. She's telling me last week a conversation she just had, and she was explaining the, the gospel to an older gentleman that probably doesn't have a lot of time left here on earth. After explaining all of it, this was his response. He said to her, so what you're saying is, if I can get a freebie like that, I should take it. She's like, yeah, pretty much. If you can get a freebie like that, you should take it. That's the idea that Jesus is presenting. Listen, it has nothing to do with your works. It has nothing to do with you earning or achieving something. He's saying this is simply by faith. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. This is forecasting his death on a cruel cross that whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. Probably the hardest thing for Nick to absorb there in that statement is the simple word, whoever. Whoever would be hard for him because he had taken so much pride in his Jewish heritage that the idea of the Messiah not coming to rescue the Jews and penalize all other nations was completely foreign to him. So he, he's gotta be uh, wrestling through that. Why wouldn't God keep eternal life for people that kept the rules? Here, let's see if you catch the reason why in the next six words. For God 
so loved the world. It's not isolated. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever, again, you see it there, believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light, but because light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Here, what's been a, seemed a lot of cloudy conversation up until this point is probably the most crystal clear explanation of saving faith found in the Bible. It's as plain as day. It's the end zone verse, right? This is the one that we always see. John 3, 16, plastered on things. It's on the bottom of your in and out cup. It's on your forever 21 bag. It's in any football stadium. It is the thing that we cling to as an explanation of how someone is saved. So earlier on, you're just like, man, that seems like he's making things really confusing for, for Nick. He, it's, it, it, did, it didn't make any sense. Here, it's crystal clear. It says, believe in him and you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. But if you don't, you won't. Basically, he's explaining to them that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to rescue the world. Why is that? Because the world is condemned already. The verdict is already end. They're condemned without belief. Most think, think about this for a second. Most think that we're in the process of accumulating our record. There's a, a scorecard or a scoreboard that's taking place. At the end, it'll be decided what God's going to do with us. But here, based on Jesus's words, is the reality is that we're already condemned in our unbelief. We're born into it. We're transgressors, transgressors from birth. It's something inherited from Adam and Eve. We're already condemned. Why is that? Why do people reject this offer? Like that gentleman that my sister spoke to says right here in the text, people love the darkness rather than the light. Why is that? Because their works are evil. People prefer their sin to rescue. Those living in sin want nothing to do with the light. I don't know if you've ever had that experience with young kids and you're uh, just drifting off to sleep. We have this still with our kids in their uh, early teens where they come and flip on the light and it's like your eyes go are like uh, adjusting, they're dilating. And you're like, what in the world? Uh, anger ensues, not from anyone I know, uh, but uh, I've heard of other people getting angry at that. But here, here's the idea is men love their darkness. This is the same picture. We'd prefer, you see, light either causes somebody to recoil or to be drawn to it. That's what he's describing there. He's describing the choice that we have in that. And so many, unfortunately, choose to embrace their sin over the rescue because they know what's demanded in following Jesus. Change. 
you talk to people and you really get to the heart of why they're resistant to embracing Jesus Christ is because they know with, with that decision comes expected transformation. You're not able to continue going down the same patterns that you used to if you're claiming him as Lord and leader of your life. Basically here is, is Nicodemus' introduction probably for the very first time is an entire life. We don't know his exact age. I'm, I'm guessing that he's a little bit later in years. This is the very first introduction to truth. And what I love, I was talking to my wife early or this week, she was in a Bible study and she was explaining this, to, that later on in the, in the gospels, we see that this conversation, this interaction had an unbelievable impact on him. In the uh, time where Jesus is being brought before the Sanhedrin, he's the one that speaks up and wants to make sure that Jesus gets a, a fair trial before the, riot, the, uh, the, the crowds or the masses take over. He's also the one after Jesus is put to death that makes sure that he gets a burial worthy of a king, signs of a changed heart of a changed man. This interaction obviously left a, a, a huge mark on his life moving forward. This was the experience of Nicodemus. A, a deep longing brought him to knock on his door and he left completely changed. For us, if there's any piece of us, any piece of this that I can leave us with is that same exact invitation. Jesus invites those conversations to bring the different things that we're stressed about, bring the, th the different things that we're worried about, the things that we're anxious about, bring them to him. For, my, for each of us that are kind of in that sleepy, stay up late at night, maybe in this season where you're worried about health stuff, where you're worried about job stuff, that's the invite, the Nick at night invitation to bring your stuff to him. I thought it'd be appropriate that we'd end our time with just giving us a, a couple moments for that to actually happen. For us to just slow down for a second and wrestle through what are my questions? What's burning on my heart? What would it be if Jesus was in the room with you now that he would see straight through to your heart? I'm gonna just give us a, a few moments of quiet where we can reflect on that. Some of us, it's stuff that we're anxious about, that we're stressed about, others of us, Maybe that thing he would speak to is the same invitation that he's given Nicodemus to repent from his sins, to turn uh, to him, to embrace his rescue, his, for his finished work on the cross. So any of that can happen even in these moments as we pray. For some, it might be turning over a burden to him. For others, it might be calling out to him for rescue for the very first time. Either way, I just wanna be quiet before I close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much for this standing invitation, this invite to come with the things that are weighing heavy on us and lay them at your feet. That you, there, there's nothing that you can't handle. There's nothing that's new information to you. There's nothing that you don't see straight through. I thank you for being that God that's engaged with us, that desperately wants relationship with us. 
Pray that we take advantage of that, especially in this season that's so full of anxiety and stress. We keep on coming back to you, even the late hours. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for providing the way of rescue if we're willing to come out of the darkness. Pray for the person that's maybe been kind of teetering on this decision that maybe even as they're listening to this prayer might be the choice to cross that line, to embrace you, to call out to you for rescue. Thank you that that's an invite that's standing before us every single day of our life. But we don't know when that invite comes to an end. I thank you for this opportunity to be together in your name. Now we sing about that. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. You hid in glory in creation, now revealed in you are Christ. What, what a beautiful name.
Well, there definitely couldn't be any more truer words than that. What a beautiful name. I pray that that's the name that you cling to, the name that you go to, even in the late hours of the night. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.